0: Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Period, the podcast for people who want all things real, raw, and reputable. I'm your host, Isabella Gosling, and today I am chatting with Amy Marks. Amy was diagnosed with endometriosis in 2020 after experiencing over eight years of pain and symptoms. Since then, she has gone on to study at uni part-time and has recently been granted the disability support pension. In this episode, we chat on Amy's first experiences when she got her period, how it was like to finally be diagnosed with endo two years ago, what she would say to someone who's just recently been diagnosed with endo, some of the most challenging aspects of endometriosis and how they impact her life, her tips for people who are studying whilst managing a chronic illness, We also talk on Amy's experience of getting the disability support pension and her advice to someone who might be going through that process right now. And Amy also shares what she'd like to see change within the pelvic health space. At the tail end of this episode, I also give a bit of a rundown on the disability support pension as well as all of the different aspects of it because it is something that is very confusing and overwhelming for a lot of people in the chronic illness space and they might not necessarily think they could be eligible for it so I just give a bit of an all-round info drop on all the different aspects of the disability support pension different income and assets tests, medical evidence and all of that good stuff and sort of first steps of where to go and what to do if you think you could be eligible for that. So if you hang around at the end of the episode chatting with Amy, uh, we dive right into that and I give you a bit of a rundown. So now here's Amy. Amy, welcome to Let's Talk Period. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so delighted to be chatting with you today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm not sure if you're a listener, but one of the first questions I love to ask everybody when they come onto the pod is all about nourishing their body. So can you share with the listeners what you've done to nourish your body today?
1: Um, I do like to keep an intentional rest day during the week. So that was today um yeah so I've gotten out for breakfast with a friend and we had a smoothie bowl so yeah just keeping quiet today which has been nice
0: oh that is such a good idea and so helpful because I know when you have a chronic illness, it is so energy draining and Mm -hmm. just having that day set aside. And I know people have weekends traditionally and things like that, but sometimes two days just is not enough rest time.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: The next thing I love to talk all about as well is all about our toolkit. And when we have a chronic illness or not, there are so many items, people, strategies and things that can help us to manage our health. Is there something that you'd recommend that the listeners add to their toolkits to help manage their health?
1: Um, I think, yeah, having a good support team is really helpful and just having someone that you can go to when you are having those bad days. Um, like I'm lucky that I still live at home, so having my mum has been really helpful Um, just having someone aware, I guess, where you were at in the day is something that I've really valued.
0: Yeah, definitely. And just someone to touch base with and check in with and see how you're going and Mm. be able to vent to when needed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And yeah, those people are just so important. And I know when you are facing life with a chronic illness it can be quite difficult when you are navigating friendships or relationships or things like that so knowing that you do have that strong support system in place is just all that more important Mm, yeah I would love to switch gears now and chat about all things period related um I would love to talk all about your experiences at school or when you were learning about periods growing up um, was this something that was openly spoken about or what was your experience like with this
1: yeah um I live at home with my mum so I think just having her in the house we've been quite open about all of those types of things um we didn't learn too much at school I think that kind of created a little bit of a stigma around it especially um being quite young when I got my period I felt a bit isolated I guess um like I remember when I first got it I burst into tears because it was just terrifying um but yeah I think the relationship I have with my mum has been really helpful in that I've always been able to ask her questions about it all um and yeah I guess growing up I'm more confident to share about my period and ask questions and stuff like that. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, and you said you got your period quite young. So,
1: how old were you exactly? Um, I was eleven. I remember it was two weeks before my twelfth birthday. So, <laughs> yeah, I was really hoping to be twelve, but she came early. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, that's okay. They're so unpredictable. So <laughs> that's it. And on that, you were diagnosed with endometriosis just last year after having suffered with symptoms for eight years and all the pain that goes along with that as well. Can you share a bit about your endo journey with us? Were you experiencing pain and symptoms from the onset of when you were 11 or just for those eight years or talk to us about that time?
1: Yeah, so I started getting pain when I was about 15. Um, Yeah, I just remember being like not able to go to school um, and yeah, just like being quite sick with it all. Um, Yeah, so a couple of years after I started getting my period um, and I kind of thought it was normal to be in the amount of pain I was so I didn't really do a lot for a while, I think I was about um, 17 before I decided to go to the doctors. And then, um, yeah, they put me on the pill, um, which didn't help, but yeah, I stayed on that for a couple of years. And then it was probably about 2019 when I started to get really annoyed at everything. Um, And like, I think my symptoms started getting worse then as well. I was just more aware that, like I don't think this is normal um what I'm going through, so yeah, I spoke to a few different doctors, got on more pills, like um and then, yeah, last year was when I was finally able to see a um pelvic floor physio who was who put me up with my um gynecologist um and that was kind of a bit more of a gave me a bit more answers um and support which has been really helpful so yeah it's been a little bit of a lengthy journey but
0: yeah yeah exactly oh I just can't imagine well I can imagine but (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just such a tumultuous time and so many ups and downs and How were you feeling when you had to go to the doctor and you are going there explaining that, you know, I have all of these symptoms, I'm experiencing this horrible pain and they're giving you the pill and saying, okay, this should help um, and then it's not helping. What were you feeling? Like I know you said you are feeling angry after a while, but what was that time like for you when you were trying to navigate that whole system and being tossed around from doctor to doctor.
1: It's definitely frustrating and confusing. Um, like I definitely felt like I wasn't really being listened to throughout it all. Um, yeah, or taken seriously, I guess. Like it's hard to tell someone when I'm sitting normally, like I'm actually in a lot of pain right now because it's hard to tell that. Yeah. Um, So I found that really difficult as well. Um, Yeah, and it just, it takes up a lot of money as well, which was quite hard being a student. Um, Yeah, so I think like, yeah, just quite frustrated and then also being told different things all the time was really hard as well.
0: Mm, For sure. And I know we sort of were just talking on this, but receiving that diagnosis does come with so many emotions and waiting for those answers and going in for that um, consult and then you find out you do have endo. How was it to have that diagnosis and those answers to your pain and symptoms after that eight-year journey to find them?
1: Um, It was actually quite shocking, which sounds really silly, because all my symptoms pointed to endo but I just got to the point where so many doctors were telling me that it can't be this because I didn't have heavy periods or I didn't have this that I just kind of got to the point of believing them that when I finally was told that I've got endo and it was quite bad I was in so much shock um so it took me a while to kind of process that it had all it had all happened um But, yeah, I also, like, finally got to a point of, like, a bit of relief as well that I finally got answers and we can work on it a bit more. Like, yeah, so a bit of lots of emotions.
0: For sure. What would you say to someone who might have just been diagnosed with endo and is in that current situation that you were in
1: last year to manage or navigate that time? Um. I would definitely recommend getting a counsellor or psychologist or something. Like that's been really helpful to my journey. Um in just feeling validated in what I'm going through. Um yeah, and just look after yourself, like take the time to rest and really like listen to your body, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely. And especially if you've had quite an invasive laparoscopy and They've done a lot of removal, it can be a long time to heal after that mm-hmm. surgery. And I know a lot of doctors suggest like the downtime's about a week, but I know from my own surgery it was about a month before I was beginning to feel like myself again. So I mm-hmm. completely agree with you saying to, you know, tact on your life day to day.
1: Um, I think I find well, everything challenging, but um Definitely like I've really struggled with my um, study and my work situation. So, yeah, I've kind of had to pull back on um, how much study I do a semester, which has been kind of disheartening. Um, Just, I don't know, like that brain space of thinking that you can do more than your body really wants you to do. Um, So, yeah, that's definitely been quite challenging. Um, and just having to, I guess, having to be really transparent at work can be hard as well. I think I tend to be the type of person that's like, I've got it all together, but I really don't. So, yeah, um, I think that can be pretty hard. Yeah. For Sure. And
0: navigating study when you're chronically ill is hard enough. Uh, what tips or advice do you have for other people out there who are currently trying to study while also managing a chronic illness
1: um I think yeah definitely like do what you can um like I tried to do four subjects because it's kind of what you're supposed to do I guess and that didn't work for me and it's not the end of the world that my degree is going to take longer to get through um yeah and work like do as much as of work you can in those times where you are feeling good, like make the most of that. Yeah, for sure.
0: And have you been able to access anything at your uni with
1: regards to support or anything like that? Um, Not really. Like, yeah, I'm not sure what's out there for me. yeah. But yeah.
0: Is that something that you wish would be more transparent and more readily available for people who are living with chronic illnesses? Yes, definitely. Yeah. I can only imagine um, and trying to navigate that system side of things as well and trying to find the support that is available can be incredibly difficult because it's not always made um, glaringly obvious as to who to go to and where to seek help. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, I know that you were successful in obtaining the disability support pension and I would love to know what this process looked like for you, how you came to realise that this might be something that you're going to actually need Mm -hmm. and sort of what this has been able to do for you and how it's been able to help you.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I I guess I got to the point of realising like I can't do four subjects and I can't do a lot of work, especially at the moment, Um, and I still need that extra bit of money to get me over the edge. Um, So I looked into Centrelink and all the study and all of that and found that, like, I wasn't eligible for the study payments because I'm only doing two subjects because of my health, so it was a a bit stuck in that cycle. Um, But, yeah, I looked into it more and it was a bit of a process Um, and I can see why people would just kind of give up with it all because it was so difficult at times. Um, I had to be really, like, quite honest with everything and, like, very detailed with my health and everything, which was really hard talking to a stranger on the phone, um, explaining, yeah, all of my health journey of the past year. Um, but yeah, so, um, I think just my circumstances, the fact that I don't earn enough at my work and the fact that I, yeah, did go into detail really helped them see that I needed that support with the money, which was, yeah, really helpful. Um, yeah. So I think it's been a huge blessing, um, especially with the fact that I'm have like two to four appointments each week that I have to kind of pay for out of my pocket. So, yeah, that's been really um, helpful. Um, yeah, and even with, like, medication and stuff and having the um, the card, which I forgot what it's called, healthcare card, um, yeah, that's been a huge help as well, having, like, the discount on medication that I'm on has been yeah really helpful yeah that's just so wonderful to hear and
0: like you said it is almost like a catch twenty two a catch twenty two trying to apply for Oz study and then only doing two subjects and not being full time and not being able to access that um, but trying to navigate that and Then needing to jump through all of those hoops to get the disability support pension. And we've heard, I've heard so many times of people going, Oh, well, it's too hard, or people won't listen, and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I'm so thankful that you were able to successfully receive that and Mm -hmm. be able to have that help available to you.
1: Yeah, me too. Like, I definitely feel really fortunate because I know that it's difficult for other people. And, yeah, like, I really feel for people that can't get it because it's been a huge blessing.
0: What would you say to someone who's currently in the process of trying to navigate and trying to decipher all of that paperwork and go through that DSP process?
1: Um, I think just, like, keep pushing through. Like, it took me nine months to get it so Yeah, it's not going to be a quick process Um, and it will be frustrating. But, yeah, I don't know, just keep persevering with it because I guess it is helpful once you get it. So it is kind of worth it. But, yeah, it's tough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, exactly. But, no, that's it, persevering and just knowing that hopefully it will be worth it when it does come through. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to focus now on the sort of positive, I guess, and you can pop that in quotation marks, Mm -hmm. positive side of endometriosis. And I would just, I'd love to know what has endometriosis given you?
1: Um, I think a lot of like understanding of myself and what's going on inside of my body has actually been really positive um, like seeing that I'm stronger than I think I am because my body's been through a fair bit. Um, yeah, and I definitely really appreciate the community and all those different Facebook and Instagram groups that you can go on and ask for advice has been so encouraging. Um, yeah, and I think just being, I don't know, like a someone else that's out there that's advocating for endo like just I'm here talking about it for someone else who's too scared to talk about it I don't know like I just yeah like to see it as a way that I could help other people I guess yeah
0: and that's just so amazing in itself and even if you can just help one person through sharing your story and your experience and it's all worth it
1: mm, definitely mm. what would you like to see change within the pelvic health space Um. I'd definitely like to see, like, easier access to things, like, especially things like the DSP and, um, yeah, more doctors educated on it as well, like, so many things. But, yeah, even, like, education at school, I think that would have been really beneficial to me, so I'd love it to see it more for other kids as well.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Both such important answers. And hopefully, we're moving in the right direction and we can only continue to see these things be implemented and have really positive effects moving forward. Yeah, hopefully. Thank you so much for coming on Let's Talk, period, today, Amy, and sharing your story and experiences. I just know that the listeners absolutely going to love this chat. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I really hope you all enjoyed Amy's episode and learning a little bit about her experience with endo and what it was like to get the disability support pension. Now it's time for a little bit of a deep dive into the DSP and this is for people who... Are residing in Australia. So I don't really have any information on overseas requirements or anything like that. If you're not living in Australia, um, I don't really know what disability support or chronic illness support looks like for you, unfortunately. So for the disability support pension uh, within Australia, generally according to the Services Australia website or the Centrelink website, uh, you need to be an Australian citizen or hold a permanent resident visa. So there are exceptions to these rules and they do detail that on the website. So if you are um, not currently a permanent resident or not an Australian citizen, do still go on there and have a look and check because you could still be eligible. They do have different... um, rules and conditions for different uh, exemptions, I guess, for the, the rules. So after that, there is then the income and assets test that comes into play as well. So there's income rules. So for people who are single, uh, they're allowed to earn up to $180 a fortnight and they won't have any reduction seen on an income, um, on a disability pension. However, if you earn over that $180 a fortnight, it will reduce by 50 cents for each dollar earned over that $180. So that's if you're single. Um, If you're in a couple living together situation, that amount increases to incomes up to $320 a fortnight. So, your pension would stay the same uh, and then it will reduce 50 cents for each dollar earned over that $320 a fortnight. Uh, And then if you are under 21, those rules are different again. So, it's very confusing. So, that amount reduces to 40 cents on the dollar. So, your amount would reduce 40 cents on each dollar earned. Then there's also cutoff points as well. So there's different situations where if you're earning over a certain amount for that fortnight, you won't receive any income from your disability support pension if you're approved for that fortnight. So if you're 21 and older um, and single, if you're earning over $2,115 for that fortnight, you wouldn't receive any disability support that fortnight if you were approved. There's lots of different... Um, rules and situations in the table on the website as well. So if you're a couple, you earn um, $3,237 combined. Um, You won't receive anything for that point. Um, For that fortnight, but there's lots of different um, age brackets as well. So there's 18 to 20, 16 or 17, 16 to 20 with children or no children, couples with children. So there's lots of different um, makeups of those income cutoff points if you were granted the disability support pension and the cutoff for that. After that, there's then the assets test, and so they're looking for what assets you own, and there's different parameters around that and how much you're allowed to own, and they really detail that on the website as well. Also, when they're looking at your income, they're looking at your gross employment income that you're earning from your work. So this is money that you earn from work, um, any bonuses you receive, any penalty rates or overtime, any fringe benefits. So extras that you might get, um, any salary sacrifices that you're doing. So if you're um, paying your rent through salary sacrifice or paying off a car through salary sacrificing, anything like that. So that gross amount of money that you earn per fortnight Um, and then assets, they're looking for things that you own. So property, cars, uh, investments, anything like that. Um, And they do detail examples of both of those things. From there, they're then looking at the non-medical and medical rules. So general medical rules are around your condition. So this is your disability or your chronic illness. And this is that your rules that you need to meet are that your condition will last more than full, more than two years. Uh, your condition is fully diagnosed, treated and stabilised. So that means having evidence from your doctor. So you need to have evidence of past, current and planned treatment, how your condition impacts your day-to-day and the names and contact details of your treating doctors. So for example, if you do have endo, that would potentially be your specialist obstetrician and gynecologist providing details of your condition. So Example, you might have endo, um, what treatment you've done in the past, what treatment you're currently doing and what treatments plan for the future, as well as how your endo impacts your day to day. Um, They'll also want to know about when your symptoms started, how often you're experiencing symptoms, how long you've been having symptoms, and then the impacts of your condition, as well as any treatment that you're using. And also if you're using any uh, mobility aids or any assistive technology. And they're also going to want to know when it will improve. So that prognosis, so does the treating team expect that this condition will get better or is this pretty much what life will be like for you? Um, Just sort of evidence around that. So they want to know about that. Um, They then will look for if you have an impairment rating of 20 points or more and that will be done through um, an assessment done with a medical assessor on on the phone or in person depending on COVID and then potentially you might need to meet a program of support rules so there's information on that Um, but you might meet the 20 points or more in one category um, but it's across two it's a bit confusing so you might meet 10 points in one category 10 points in another and you might need to meet that program of support and there's information on whether those rules might apply You also need to determine whether your condition will stop you from working at least 15 hours per week in the next two years. In addition to that, for evidence-wise, they're looking for things like medical history records or reports, specialist medical reports, psychology reports, or IQ testing, any medical any medical imaging reports, uh, any physical examination reports, any hospital records or outpatient records, any details of operations, any rehab reports or compensation reports, so work cover, or if you've seen a pelvic physio. So any other um, reports like that. So if you've seen allied health professionals, so if you're seeing that pelvic physio, they might um, do a report for you. If you're seeing a dietitian they might do a report for you if you're seeing an osteopath they might do a report for you any other evidence that you can get so from there you are also looking at your job capacity assessment and so they're looking at your con- your conditions and then your medical evidence and then any barriers that you might have to working and any assistance or rehab that you've had and if That if you can now work 15 hours per week or more in the next two years, if they were able to give you training, could that help you to work more than 15 hours a week uh, in the next two years? Or if you were able to retrain in another field, could you work more than 15 hours a week in the next two years? And then they're also looking at how many hours you could work with training and support and how much help you might need to stay in work. So that ability is looked at. And then they're also going to, from there, do a medical assessment. And this is with a trained assessor. And that will either be on the phone or in person, depending on COVID. And so This is about an hour phone conversation and they ask you for your identification and they chat through your medical evidence you've provided and anything that you're struggling with, what your ability might be like to maintain work, um, any new medical evidence that you might have not had a chance to submit yet, um, anything that is sort of sticking out for you, impacting your life. And so that's really the chance where you... Uh, talking with them about how your condition is impacting your life and what your capacity is like for work and all of that so this is after you've submitted uh, documentation so you submit um, your claim online and so that can be done online and I'll put links to all of the different um, websites and such down below so in the show notes so you can uh, look at that if that's going to be helpful for you. So you can do all of this online. However, if you don't have access to online, you need to complete, and I've written this down, an SA466 form. And you will also need an income and assets form. You'll also need a consent to disclose medical information form. And then you'll also need a DSP medical evidence checklist. And that's a lot of Uh, forms and evidence so it's a lot of paperwork and the disability support form the SA-466 if you're printing that out it's 32 pages so it is quite in depth and it's quite detailed so that's just um, information and then you need all of your reports to back up what you're saying with all of your medical evidence as well so from there um, you do your disability support claim And then you'll get your medical assessment date and they will have that chat with you from there. um, It really depends on timelines. So it can take a month or it can take nine months. It can take a year. Um, So it can take quite a while. And so from there, um, a decision will be made. And so the medical assessor will do a report on what you've given them. They will look at your impairment rating. So you'll need to meet that 20 points. If you don't meet 20 points, you can't access the DSP. If you are 20 points or over, you can be granted the DSP. So if your decision is made that, yes, you will be granted the disability support pension, you'll be granted it from the, late, from the date that is written in the letter. Or if the DSP is denied, they will give reasons for that decision and then your options. So you can actually ask for the medical assessment that the assessor did and to see what they've written down. And they also, you can also be asking why you don't meet, um, you can also be asking why you don't meet eligibility. And then you can ask that your decision, that their decision is reviewed. Um, You can then submit a new claim as well if that decision comes back as yes, it was correct. And you can submit a new claim with additional evidence to try and support that if that is something you're really needing to access. If you're wondering whether you might be eligible, you can go and do a pre-claim and that can assist you to determine whether you could be eligible. So they're asking you questions um, before starting the huge process of applying for it. So are you able to work more than 15 hours a week? How long have you had your condition? Is your condition diagnosed uh, and fully diagnosed, treated and stabilised? So, um it really gives you sort of an idea of yes you could be eligible before proceeding so you don't do all of that work and you're not eligible for the DSP so it's sort of trying to help you before you go to all that work if that's something you might not be able to get i hope that this information is helpful so, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Period with Amy Marks and then the little disability support pension chat at the end. If you want more from Let's Talk Period and want to keep updated with all things that we're up to, you can follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Period AU. Uh, you can also join the Facebook community and that's just Let's Talk Period community. Um, You can search that or I've popped the link down below in the show notes. It's a beautiful place with like-minded people who have endo, adeno, or PCOS, and it's a place to get support, ask questions, and just hang out with people who get what you're going through. Also, if you did really like this episode, I would love if you could share the show share a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple or just rate the show if you're listening on Spotify. You can also follow the show on both Apple and Spotify. Let's Talk Period is an independent podcast. So if you did want to share this episode with a friend or a family member, or even share that you're listening on stories, this just really helps uh, to find new listeners and build a beautiful Let's Talk Period podcast community. Let's Talk Period is produced for educational purposes and the information, recommendations and topics talked about does not constitute medical advice or take into consideration your personal circumstances or medical history.